Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Informed Catholic Podcast. My name is Ned Jabbar. So let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, for the scripture passage, I'm going to be reading the second letter of Saint Paul to the Thessalonians. We're going to start reading from verse 2, I mean, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to verse 12. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our assembling to meet him, we beg you, brethren, not to be quickly shaken in mind or excited either by spirit or by word or by letter perpetuating to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you this, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then... The lawless one will be revealed, and the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by his appearing and his coming. The coming of the lawless one by the activity of Satan will be with all power and with pretended signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are to perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends upon them a strong delusion to make them believe what is false so that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This part, I think, is most important. And with all wicked deception for those who are to perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends upon them a strong delusion to make them believe what is false so that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
a lot of people may find this part very confusing. So is God deliberately, deliberately sending confusion? No. The coming of the lawless one, lawless one by the activity of Satan will be with all power and with pretended signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are to perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends upon them a strong delusion to make them believe what is false so that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The, the, the part here is they refuse to love the truth. That's the important part here. We have to love the truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the part here that the delusion comes when you refuse to love the truth, so therefore you are welcoming delusion and deception into your life. And therefore giving yourself permission, giving permission for delusion to come. We're going to have to look around what's happening with us today. And it's not something that's easy to talk about because it will get one into trouble. But without going into details, which I think we're going to have to avoid, uh, we'll just tap into it. When you, it's the same thing, I think, with drug addicts and alcoholics and other people, in a sense, that you are denying the facts that's in front of you. If you're an addict, if you are addicted to something, then you're allowing yourself to go into delusion. And by going in, into delusion, you are rejecting the truth, so you are welcoming deception. You are welcoming delusion by the addiction that you have embraced. And so you are calling upon yourself self-destruction. There's no, there's no other way I think we can, we can put it. An addiction is a delusion whether it's alcoholism or drugs or anything else that denies the fact or the reality. Christ is the truth. And the truth does only sets you free as we've often been told. Christ is freedom. And so therefore we must look to the truth. However, and the truth therefore reveals the painful reality about ourselves. The sins that hold us captive. We know this to be a fact because sin is slavery, slavery to the devil, slavery to death and destruction. And that is the fact that we have to believe in. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father except by him and him alone. 
There is no other name under heaven, as St. Paul told us, that we can be saved except by the name of Christ Jesus himself. I think as Catholics, as Pentecostals, as evangelical Christians, or non-denominational Christians, we all admit to the name, even Orthodox Christians, we all confess the name of Jesus. And Jesus is eternal life. So, what is going on today in the Vatican? Well, let's just point out here. Let's just make it clear. We'll look into the the Catholic understanding of what's happening. There is a divide now. And I'm going to read an article to you right now about schism. I'm going to try to explain what is schism. Schism is almost like a separation in a marriage or in a family, a dispute. We, the Catholic Church, believes in one holy, all Catholics are supposed to believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Those are the four marks of the church. The church is one the church is holy, one holy. The church is Catholic and the church is apostolic. The church is one because Christ our Lord is one. God is one. The church is holy because it comes from her bridegroom. The church is the bride and Christ is the bridegroom. Okay, holy. It's also been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The church is Catholic, the word universal in Greek, meaning that it is the same gospel that's being preached in all four corners of the earth and that all her members hold the same doctrine and dogma. Doctrine and dogma guide us into how to worship and how to believe. Apostolic, because the church comes from the apostles. Okay, and the church cannot teach contradiction. That's another thing with uh, something we must understand. The church must never contradict her Lord and Savior. The Pope, who we call the successor of St. Peter, the one who stands in the or sits in this in the seat of St. Peter and walks and in and stands in the shoes of the fishermen. Because Christ chose Peter as one, the head of the apostles, he's always mentioned in the tally of the apostles, whenever it's mentioned in any of the four gospels, Peter comes first. And Peter is the one who confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God in Matthew chapter 16. And it's also backed up in Mark. I can't remember the chapter and verse right now. Please forgive me. But that is the truth. And then he's also backed up in the end of John's gospel. Remember when our Lord asked him, Simon, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, 
do you love me? And he goes, yes, Lord, I love you. Then tend to my flock. And then he asked him a third time, and then he groaned in his heart because he understood. In a sense, it was the Trinity, the Trinity that was present because where one is, there's no separation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is always active, even in the one person of Christ. The other two are present. But the point is, he denied our Lord three times, remember, on the night of the betrayal, the night he was arrested. But the difference between Peter and Judas is that Judas despaired and believed he was beyond forgiveness. There is no sin that's beyond forgiveness, but Judas was, his destiny was already pre, uh, predicted. The difference is that Peter ran back to the Lord and begged to be forgiven, begged to be received back. Mercy is always available as long as you are still active in this life. Mercy and forgiveness, forgiveness of sins is possible. As long as you're still alive in this life, your life was, you did not bring yourself to life. God gave you life. And you have no right to take that life except by the laws of God. And you have, suicide is a horrible thing. And we must always remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is always forgiving. And that is the whole point of the gospel. Peter went back and asked for forgiveness. Um, so this is the truth. This is what Orthodox, conservative, Bible-believing, church-going, sacramental Catholics believe. Unfortunately, among the fruit, there's also thorns. There's also tares. There's also weeds. That should not be there, but is there. And this this group of Catholics who grow up among the the good good healthy fruit are those who are reaching out, taking the bad fruit that's given to them by Satan, and they are deceiving themselves. The Pope is not God. The, the Pope is not God. The Pope is the shepherd, the appointed shepherd. And we've, we Catholics have had many bad popes in the past. Let's just try to understand this. It's not impossible to have a bad pope. It's not impossible to have a sinful man sitting in the throne of St. Peter. Sometimes it is permitted by God in order to wake the, the, the sheep up, to wake the flock up, to wake his beloved people, to help them to wake up so that they may realize that there is a problem in the church. There is an infection. One of our popes said in the past, the smoke of Satan has invaded the sanctuary of Christ. 
if you notice uh talking to our brothers and sisters in the who are separated from the catholic church the the problems are is this you have to notice you have to understand is that in the past there have been catholics i would say cultural catholics on both ends who sometimes place the pope too high too high in a sense that the pope can say and do no wrong this can be found both on the conservative side extreme conservative side and the extreme liberal side both can have a paganistic view about the pope i i think you must understand this it's almost just like politics both sides if if they have a president that is of their party whether he could be a republican or a democrat they'll defend their president even when the fact that he did wrong and this is the same thing sometimes with some catholics conservative catholics and liberal catholics can have the same negative attitude and i'm talking about not necessarily uh catholics who are deep praying catholics a catholic who prays receives the holy communion the body and blood of the lord daily and practice their faith goes the confession reads the scriptures doesn't allow the office of the papacy to occupy their mind the pope is shepherd simple as that he could you know he he's allowed he's permitted as a human being like all human beings to be wrong to hold a bad opinion he only speaks truth when he speaks directly in line with the truth in other words he's in line and he he's aware of the, his savior and he speaks directly about morals and faith political opinions the pope can be wrong economic opinions the pope can be wrong um scientific opinions the pope can be wrong and on personal moral opinions the pope can possibly be wrong but when it comes to the gospel when it comes to the moral teachings of the church the pope speaking in line together with the bishops and with in line with all the other popes has to speak the truth he has to speak the truth. He cannot change doctrine. He cannot change doctrine and he cannot change theology. So this is something we have to be aware of. So we're going to look into exactly what's going on at the Vatican. And we're going to examine uh, exactly what's going on with Pope Francis, with the Holy Father. Let me just make it quite clear. Pope Francis is legally Pope. Now, just because he's been elected Pope does not mean that he's going to go automatically to heaven. It does not mean the man is saved. No, being Pope is a serious matter. 
and you got to be really in line and have faith. You better make sure that you are doing the right job. He better be a prayerful man. Pope should spend a lot of time in prayer, as any minister, as all Christians should. But being the fact that he's Pope, I would hope he spends more time in prayer. And he better be aware. He better be examining his actions. A Pope should be careful with his words. Of course, many men who hold a high elected office should be very, very careful with their words. We all agree with that. We're going to look into Pope Francis and we're going to look into all the other all the other popes people like Pope John Paul II of happy memory and Pope Benedict who's still alive but he now Pope Emeritus sort of like senior and what's going on with him and what is going on with the other bishops and clergy and what is going on with his Amazonian synod we're going to examine it and we're going to study it and we're going to try to make sense out of it. I read this passage of Second Thessalonians because it's a warning. If you notice, Paul in the letter makes it quite clear to be careful. And we mustn't be obsessed with the end times although we should be aware of the times that we live in and we should be aware of the deception. There is a strong deception going around, let's face it, not just in the church, but outside the church. Our society is seriously falling into a, a powerful delusion. Something's changed, we all agree, in the last few years. A lot has changed. Our culture is obsessed with language, with sexuality, with identity, with gender identity, with, with politics. Something's changed in the culture. There's a big shift. And it's, it's affecting us on every single level. It's affecting us on all levels. Um, there's a lot, a lot that's affecting us and we, we have to be aware of it. And this shift, this cultural shift, unfortunately has invaded the church on, on serious, uh, serious level. There's an a, a obsession about the, the environment, nature. There seems to be less concern about the salvation of souls and more obsession about the created world, about the trees, the planets, the water, and less on the human person. The human person is becoming more and more insignificant. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know, it's, it's, it's becoming very much a concern. No one seems to want to respect that the human individual was created in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, 
every one of us should be treating it, treating the next human person, the next one next of us, the human person, our neighbor, our brothers and sisters, our friends, our children, our parents, with dignity, with sacred dignity, because the individual is created in the image and likeness of God. And that's what separates us from the rest of the animals. Because we are made in the image and likeness of our Savior. And something's changed. And it's something we're going to have to look into carefully. The other factor is, how do we understand everything that's happened in the church? Well, we have to look into the doctrines. No pope can change the faith. No pope can rewrite the gospel. No pope can change the church's belief in Jesus Christ. Regardless what Pope Francis holds, his own personal opinions, he cannot change it. This is something that every Catholic has to know this and every Christian, whether you're a member of the Catholic Church or outside the Catholic Church, where you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Bible-believing Christian and you have concerns of what's going on, the Pope cannot change the faith. He cannot rewrite the creed. He cannot rewrite anything. And this is something we have to remember. And I want all of you to remember this. Don't don't worry. First of all, the church is not a building. It's not we're not obsessed with the cathedrals or the basilicas. They're beautiful. They were made to the glory of God. A house of worship should be decorated by its members, by by the, the, the inhabitants, and should be God deserves the best. The same way he deserves the best of you, the same way some Christians dress up beautifully, respectfully for, for Sunday worship, so should your house of worship look respectful and dignified and beautiful. Because you want to give the best to God. You want to give the best of yourself. And that's what's important here. You want to give the best of yourself. And the best of yourself means everything that you can possibly give. And that's the important thing. Remember when Jesus sat by and he watched people giving their donations. And one woman gave two pennies. Others gave what they could afford to give. But one woman gave two pennies and Jesus praised her more than all the others. She gave the best of herself because she gave all of herself and because she trusted God. And that's, that's what's important. It has nothing to do with the building. The, with the, the, the real important body is the member's. the members, the people of God. That's the mystical body of Christ. We can always go and worship and build another building. We could consecrate it. 
I remember in the movie uh, Song of Bernadette, people were making a big fuss because uh, people were meeting at a garbage dump. This is a story that took place in 19th century where our, our Lord sent his mother and she appeared to this young woman in a place called Massalfiel. I, I might be pronouncing the French name wrong, but it's a garbage dump. And mysteriously, she appeared by a rose bush that was growing in the garbage dump. And some local politicians were making a big deal about it. Now, interesting to note, France became a secular government and became very hostile towards the, the church, towards the Christian church. And a lot of um, churches were shut down if they violated the government. And these particular men were saying, these people are worshiping and praying at a garbage dump. How undignified. And the pastor of the local parish said, prayer is good, gentlemen, wherever it is held, even in a garbage dump. It doesn't matter to God where you pray as long as it comes from the heart. There you go. It doesn't matter where we pray. If our local priest or a bishop is kicked out of a church and we have to go someplace else, then we will gladly go someplace else, wherever the Holy Spirit will take us and we will worship. At a, if it means we have to set up a, at a, what do you call it, recycling bin or whatever the heck it is, then we'll worship there. We'll set up a church. If it pleases God, then it will please God. It doesn't matter. If it's at a run-down factory, that made, they used to make socks, then we'll worship there. It doesn't matter. If people love God, they will do everything they can to make that place respectable. Even if it was a diaper factory for babies or an adult diaper factory, it doesn't matter. Well, I'll get back to you in a few minutes. I'm going to look up some more passages uh, to read. All right, so I'm going to read a little bit of the segment from Christine Niles in Church Militant to try to explain the seriousness. This is called Infanticide in the Amazon. Now, Friday, there was a, plea, uh, a tree planting ceremony. I'm going to start first by telling you exactly what's happening. In Rome, there is a called the Amazonian Synod. For some reason, there's this obsession and this focus about the Amazonian people and the fact that um, some are claiming that the gospel has not reached out to them. There seems to be some movement within certain intellectuals to, to accept the Amazonian people as they are. And there's this new vocabulary, this very flowery vocabulary, listening to the people of the forest and claiming that they are that uh, that they can teach us something because they happen to be this is obsession about the fact that they happen to be pure and unadulterated and, and they want to try to make them out to be innocent. And from what I heard, there's, there are only 9% of the population of the Amazon. The rest of the Amazon has pretty much been settled by various different people who are of European descent or mixed. 
The problem is, is that in South America, ever since the 1980s, there has been um, a decline, let's face it, of Catholicism. The Catholic Church has been infiltrated by a strong Marxist practice called liberation theology. And liberation theology is sort of a very deceptive thing. It's a mixture of socialism, Marxism, with the appearance of Christianity. And during the Reagan years, there was a movement. Ronald Reagan noticed that, for some reason, the Catholics down in South America are obsessed with Marxism. So... He asked some of his evangelical friends to go down there and turn the tide around. So evangelical Christians, Bible-believing Christians, rightfully so, went down to South America and started preaching. And a lot of them were televangelists, and they, they, they managed to win people over. And before you know it, South America has a strong Pentecostal evangelical uh, Christian presence and the catholics just kept on ignoring more of the gospel and focusing on social justice rather than fulfilling the people with the deep need of knowledge of the scriptures knowledge of the bible there you ha- there you have it that's the fault of the catholics and since then unfortunately catholicism has a very among the hierarchy and even among some Catholics, those who become very, very, very deeply rooted in their intellectual knowledge, that I know it all knowledge, that I know more than you, that you're just a, a you know a, a mere uh, superstitious uh, <clears throat> you know believing Catholic, that you don't have the intelligence and knowledge and and the scholarship and the doctorate that I have, uh, so you're just a low-minded Catholic. There's a there's unfortunately there's a there's intellectual pride. It can happen even in Protestantism. The more you know, the more your faith becomes an embarrassment to you. Literally, it's almost like you're ashamed of Jesus Christ. Like remember when Jesus says. Those who acknowledge me before my father, I will, you know, I, you know, th- those who acknowledge me, I will acknowledge before my father. Those who are ashamed of me, I will deny before my father. It's, it's that problem. And unfortunately, because Catholicism has the, a lot of resources, uh, you become a priest and you show a lot of promise, you're sent to the best theological schools. Unfortunately, You could wind up being someone who has contempt for your Catholic faith as you become more and more uh, scholarly, as you you have a lot of titles to your name. That's what happens to a lot of people, unfortunately. Well, going back to this whole Amazonian thing, it's an excuse. These guys don't care about the Amazonian people. They really don't. Here's something here. There's a 2009 documentary. This is from Church Militant. Cause an international stir by showing a footage of an Amazon tribe burying a boy alive. The, sh- the footage was shot among the Suara 
tribe who acted out the events for the camera, depicting what happens in real life in various tribes in Amazon who target disabled children for murder. Uh, they mentioned a little girl here who was seven years old, uh, and she had she ran away. Her parents, uh, and then another one here, Hukania, a two-year-old girl, was ordered to be killed by the Suwara tribe, but her parents chose suicide rather than carry out the order. She was then abandoned, left to languish in the jungle for years until a foreign couple found her and adopted her. And there's a case here of a little boy. Um, for some reason, they targeted him because they believe he was effeminate or it says he a transgender. I have no idea exactly the details here, but it says that they wanted to bury him alive. Uh, there is a law in Brazil called Muaji Law in Brazil, named after the Amazonian mother who refused to kill her disabled child. The subject is now in the spotlight. The Amazon Synod in full swing at the Vatican and Pope Francis and various cardinals calling on Catholics to listen to the so-called ancestral wisdom of the people of the forest. <clears throat> I really, I can't understand where this vocabulary, all the slogans come from. I don't know how they think of them, but listen to the people of the forest, listen to the people of the earth, listen to the cry of Mother Earth. These are the slogans you hear. And we seem to like forget about the book of Genesis where God created the heavens and the earth and all that's there. And these people are obsessed with, they're coming up with these slogans. I don't know what to say to you. It's really sad. Um, at Tuesday's Synod, um, a journalist asked a question about tribal infanticide, leading Peruvian Cardinal Pedro Barreto to offer a defensive response. It sounds like he didn't do his homework. Cardinal Pareto, this is not something that can be stated so easily because it, is, it, it, it points to a situation of savagery. Okay, so he's probably going to say this is, this is racism. In spite of the Cardinal's denials, abundant evidence shows the barbaric Amazonian practice continues, sparring Catholics to say it's all the more reason to, the Church must bring Christ to the Amazon and cease to talk about interreligious dialogue. That's true. Ecological conversation and listening to the voices of indigenous tribe. Let me just say this. About all this stuff about the environment, it's been proven that George Soros, this multi-trillionaire who has his hands in a lot of political um, different political groups, mainly a lot of liberal and socialists. He's also gotten involved in the Vatican and got involved with Pope Francis as, as well as Jeffrey Sachs. And both of these men hold to population control ideology. And so this Whenever it's been said that whenever you hear something about climate, about climate change, a lot of it has a lot to do with population control, birth control, uh, sterilization, and uh, stuff dealing with, uh, obviously, abortion. So that's a very big thing. 
it's a very big thing with a lot of these a lot of these particular players. So what's happening here, this obsession with the environment, this obsession with ecology, and this excuse to you to put the spotlight on the Amazonian people, it's just that. It's just really many a, a diversion from the real issue, which is population control. And that's what's going on. I mean, it, it's been proven already because a lot of them have focused a lot about Africa. Africa is a big is a big subject matter for a lot of these, um, the United Nations and the European Union. I mean, you see what's happening now with the migration movement happening in a lot of those places. And there's actually been a, been a strong movement to go to these places and convince them to adopt these international laws about population control. And I hate to say this, but in my view, I think a lot of it has a lot more racist motivations to them. And I tr strongly would suggest people to look into it. Whenever you have people of European background f going to these places and talking about population control, there's a lot going on here. And people should really look into into their real motivation, why they're obsessed with it. I mean, it's always the rich and powerful, for some reason, who want to push this. And it's it's a serious matter because look at the look at the the there's a population uh, imbalance even in China now. The Chinese have a have a population imbalance. There they have more elderly. They have more men, less women, because a lot of the uh, families aborted their babies and killed their ba your female babies because a lot of men wanted sons because the Chinese were restricted to one-child policy. I don't know, but I heard that they might have increased it to two children, but there's still an imbalance. Remember, most of these guys traditionally want a son to carry their name. So... If it's not just one son, and then, and now they say that they can have two children, well, they're going to go ahead and push to have two sons. And that's exactly what's happened. And unfortunately, now there is a shortage of women in China. And now with Japan, we also have the Japanese are, full, are having a hard time because most people, they didn't have children. Now they have a, a, a high elderly population. These people have dedicated their whole lives to working for the Japanese corporations. Now they find themselves old and abandoned and they have no family. And there's a high suicide rate among the elderly, among a lot of, I think a lot of people, they go to a forest and they commit suicide, showing you the unhappiness of their lives and the meaninglessness of their lives. You know, they need to be, you know, I mean, there's a population of Catholics in Japan, but Catholicism hasn't really taken a, a good strong foothold. But this is a serious problem with a lot of Japanese people that they are seriously, there's depression and unhappiness. You dedicate your whole life to working into a, a company and, so, and you don't have a family. You don't have anything to show for it. Maybe you have money, but now... You have, you're, you're living all by yourself 
And this is a lot of things that's going to happen to a lot of people, even in this country. A lot of young people are going to find themselves without family. And alone. So, you know, because that's the culture. The culture has made it impossible to raise a family with high taxes, high rent. And a lot of people even go to colleges and... They even with the degree that they have, with the constant change of the economy, they're finding themselves alone. And that's going to lead to a lot of serious problems. Um, so going back here to this whole article, it just shows you that they haven't really done their homework uh, about this. That the Amazonian people, um, they kill uh, unhealthy babies, babies born with certain defects. And it seems like a lot of these, um, the synod, a lot of these uh, uh, clerics did not do their homework. I saw the video, by the way. I want to tell you, so I saw this video. It's, it's very, it's extremely disgusting. It's a sad video. And I mean, you know, it's sad. I'll get back to you in a few minutes. So I want to read to you another interesting uh, report here. This is, uh, again, from Church Militant, I Want the Confusion. So let's look into this article by Michael Voris, October 7th, 2019. It's a transcript. Every synod here in Rome under Francis always introduces a whole new vocabulary, new terms and new themes that result in loads of confusion, meaning no one has the slightest idea what they actually mean. Depending on who is reading them or listening to them, they could mean a hundred different things. These terms seem to be deliberately left ambiguous. Let me just stop here and tell you, unfortunately, this seems to be a common practice among Jesuits, the Society of Jesus. Pope Francis is a Jesuit, and Jesuits hold on to the ideology of liberation theology. Uh, this was something that was introduced during the 1950s, and it had developed strong a foothold in South America. Um and unfortunately, like I said before, liberation theology has um, basically a, a very delusional view. It's Marxism disguised as the gospel. Simple as that. Uh, if you're trying to upset the established order, ambiguity is a very helpful dynamic. For example, in today's press conference, Elastic terms popped up everywhere. Space for disciples, authentic expressions, a church that is not closed, a church that learns from the people of the forest, synodal listening, a church that is not self-referential, and of course, the overarching new pathways. These terms have no actual meaning on their own. They need to be given their meaning, and this is where the danger of the synod lies. The confusion is rampant, 
in this kind of vocabulary. But here is an explanation of this, and it's actually pretty simple, eye-opening, in fact. Pope Francis was having a conversation with some in intimates a while back, and one of them made the observation that some of the vocabulary is confusing and needed some clarity. Pope, the Pope's response revealed a lot. And he said, I want the confusion. We'll repeat that one, that one. The Pope said, I want the confusion. The comment was so striking, it stares fear in the soul and great concern. But it has the benefit of framing this entire papacy and all its actions, the self-contradictions, the refusal to respond to the dubie, and so forth. The question people ask is, why? Why would the Pope want confusion? Let me stop here. The dubie, uh, a few cardinals uh, not too long ago, just maybe over a year or two, four cardinals got together. And one of the, when the Pope put out his Amoris Laetitiae, that's for, this is to try to help, help explain this to our non-Catholic friends who might be listening. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the joy of love. That's what the Morris Laetitia means. Uh, it basically seems to undermine the church's moral teachings on marriage and remarriage. Those who may get divorced and remarry outside the church. And it seems to uh, want to give permission to those who get married in a second marriage that is questionable. And then also to those who may be living in a state of sin, not married, outside the church, to give them permission to receive Holy Communion. And basically, it has a lot of ambiguous, unclear statements. And the Holy Father, Pope Francis, was approached by four cardinals and several theologians that said that his Amoris Laetitiae is not clear on certain terms. It seems to give permission, but it doesn't say it out in the open. So others have put together a document asking him to be clear, to make yourself clear. Because he sent this document out and a lot of people like it, but maybe people like it because of his ambiguity. Basically, it seems to not make itself clear and he refused to answer the dubie by the four cardinals two of them i believe have passed away only two are still alive and that's what he's referring to here that he just ref that it seems to fall in line with his usual behavior um unfortunately that's that's still going on the answer to that question we'll go on to the article the answer to that question may be hidden in the philosophy of some of the Ameri South Americans who greatly influenced the future Pope. This is important for people to understand. How you were educated, how you were influenced in your youth, the things that may have developed you, also can define your actions now. This is very important here. Uh, Men like Juan Carlos Scanonan, I don't know, I have no idea any of these South American intellectuals and philosophers, 
who developed what he called a theology of the people. Now you see, uh, you see the similarity here. And as well as the poet Ruben Dario, not to be left out from the influencers list, would be the liberation theology proponent Gustavo Gutierrez. Collectively, these philosophers maintain that in order to upend, to upend the established order, confusion must be promoted. Then the confusion will promote a type of conflict. From that conflict, a new reality will be ushered in. This raises another set of ideas. If the Pope's encouraging confusion so that a new reality is born, is this new reality something he already imagines? and in his mind is a goal, or is it that something just developed wherever the chips fall? They, you know, and where they fall, then we can deal with what, what new reality as it presents itself. For example, after the opening mass of St. Peter, a group of Indians from Amazon unfurled a banner celebrating Mother Earth. They got rushed away quickly by vatting guards, but not before having made a statement. The theology of Mother Earth raises, cre- raises creation to a divine status. That's why Mother Earth is worshipped. That's paganism. Whatever is going on and, and meant by all this is clear, that at least some are concluding that Mother Earth has some kind of equal or parallel footing with the Catholic Church and that the two can somehow be s- synthesized that would create an entirely new religion. This became evident in today's press conference when a question was asked about the meaning or symbolism of the naked pregnant women statue, which was presented to the Pope at the pagan worshiping tree planting ceremony in the Vatican Gardens Friday. A reporter asked the panel, what was the meaning of the statue? What is represented by by it? Was it the Virgin Mary? Was it Mother Earth? What 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 is it? The answer provided no clarity, n- not much of a surprise. The answer was bottom line: it has different meaning to different people. Fair enough, that's true, but that is a problem. Catholicism is distinguished by its clarity. Two thousand years of clear thought. If anyone, let me stop here, if anyone has any doubt, just because they put those statues does not mean that they're the same as you would see a saint. If you saw the image of those people, for example, you will never see Catholics bow down to a ground, even to a virgin uh, statue of the Virgin Mary or a painting of the Virgin Mary. What We don't believe that they're gods, and we don't believe Mary is equal to Jesus regardless what you may have heard. Catholics believe that the Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord, can pray for us. She intercedes for us. When Christ was on the cross in John's gospel, what did he say? Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple whom he loved, Son, here is your mother. And, he, and then it says, at that hour, he took her into his home. This is very important for some people to understand. We believe that Mary is the mother of all Christians. 
and that she prays for her children. Remember in the book of Revelation, where the image of the woman clothed with the sun, with the 12 stars in her head and the moon under her feet. The moon represents, the, 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 I believe, the, the knocking down of paganism, that paganism will be defeated. Because she is his mother, she is still on a mission to bring, an, uh, she's, an, she's an evangelist. Her, her mission is to bring people to her son, there's a, there's a saying, Jesus through Mary, because he came through his mother. And remember that line when she went to Elizabeth in the Gospel of Luke, when she appeared to Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. As soon as she Elizabeth heard her greeting, what did she say? Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There are some who believe that that line, the mother of my Lord, how is it the mother of my Lord should come to me? That Elizabeth was sort of like a, um, she was the model of all the proto-apparition, uh, apparitionists, the people who Mary appeared to, like Bernadette or the children of Fatima or to any other uh, appearances that she made. Her son, we believe Jesus sends his mother that Jesus, our Lord Jesus, sends his mother to remind people of the gospel. Just like people may have seen a guardian angel, well, in a sense, Mary appears not to take away attention from her son, but to remind you of the Savior. In the, in the Fatima apparitions, she warns the children, tell the world, stop offending the Lord their God that you must stop offending God with the sins. And she warned about the events that will come, the new atheism that's going to come, the new blasphemies, the new heresies that's going to come. Because that is that image, the image that you see in the book of Revelation of the woman clothed with the sun. The moon represents paganism, the paganism that she will help defeat by pointing the world back to her son. She serves her son. Remember with the line uh, in that she says, um, "The my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He who is mighty has done great things to me, and holy is his name. Henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. I mean, I have to point this out to my fellow brothers and sisters who are Protestants. Have you done that? Have you honored the mother of your king? Mary is the mother of your king. In the old days, if you want to show respect, you want to show love to your king, you would show honor to his mother, not the wife, the mother. She's the queen mother. Just as much as you honor your grandmother or your grandfather or you honor your great-grandmother, the church is a family. The Christian church is a family. Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven. That's why Catholics say this, She is daughter of God the Father, 
mother of God, the son. And when we say spouse of the Holy Spirit, do not be offended by that. Remember, Jesus was conceived, made in flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is where we're a Trinitine people. The Trinity rep represents family. So don't, don't confuse the Virgin Mary with a pagan goddess. She's not pagan. We don't bow down. We don't put our heads on the ground towards her. She would never want that. She would never ask for that. All she would ask is proper respect. And you would revere the mother of your God, the mother of your God and King, Jesus Christ, with the proper respect. That is all that is required. And that's why we pray the rosary because the rosary is a way we're asking her to take our prayers, to take our requests to the King of Kings, which is her son. That's all it is. That's all that's required of this. And now what you see here, if people try to confuse the, those horrid pagan statues and try to make them equal to, to what you see uh, in the Catholic Church, no. Go to a Catholic Church. Yes, you may once in a while find someone who may have an over sense of piety, an over sense of piety. But that in itself is only because the person, you know, just that's just their habit. It's wrong. There's a passage where Paul actually says, uh, try not to judge people who may have certain over sense of piety. I think it's somewhere. I'm going to try to find it another time. I'll get back to you about it, but not now. But the point is here is that we'll try to, to understand here that this is wrong. They're taking creation and they're taking the Christian faith and they're trying to mold it. Look, there's a reason why these heretics are focused on the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is a very influential church. Even many Protestants can admit that. It covers all four corners of the earth. These people who want to set up the new world order need a church, need a religion. And they can't do it from scrap. They can't do it from nothing. They need to take something and they need to corrupt it. They need to pollute it. And that's what they're trying to do here. They want to use this. They don't care about the Amazonian people. The Amazonian people are not their focus. The, I mean, think about it. You spend 30 years working among them and not one baptism. And then you have these nuns sitting on the, on the, on the podium and they're saying that they're helping with baptism. If there's 30 years of no baptism, how come you're performing baptisms? And you're saying that you're performing weddings in the place of priests. Yet you have dioceses just outside the, the Amazonian River. There's priests there and there's communities of Catholics. So why do they need you? It's, it's a contradiction. There's a contradiction going on here, and it's a serious, serious problem. We have to fix this. We have to pray that these people who are trying to subdue the church, we have to pray for their conversion. I mean, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. I mean, they're trying to answer, oh, it could mean different things to different people. It needs clarity here, and there's no clarity. The Catholic Church is a church of clarity. Jesus Christ is one God, is one is one person with two divine, with two natures. He has a human nature and he has a divine nature. 
In order for him to be Savior, he has to be both. He can't be just one nature. A mere man cannot save the world. And a God has no need to bleed. But the Word, the Spirit, the Divine can take on a, took on a human nature so that he can relate to us. That is why he's both God and man. He's the God-man. And he does not share his glory or the stage with any other, with no false gods. All right, he does not, he does not share his glory. And then we have something else here. While no human vocabulary can capture all the mystery of faith and divine revelation, it can rule out propositions opposed to it. It can point to contradictions logical flaws that must never be allowed. That's true. That's one thing we can be sure. Liberals do not like to argue with Scripture. Liberal Christians do not like to argue Scripture or theology because they know they're going to lose. This is something that Father Wainita, and I, I'm probably going to have to do this in another episode, um, Wainita himself made it quite clear that they, they never try to argue with Scripture. It's the same thing like you see liberal politicians. They don't like to argue with, about the constitutional laws. They want the freedom to maneuver anywhere they want. That's usually like that with most revolutionaries. They want to maneuver any way they can. If they want to overthrow the establishment, they don't want to be limited by the law. So they'll rewrite the law to give themselves the advantage to do whatever they want. That's just, they think they're doing good. They see themselves as the hero of their own story. But the fact is, they don't seem to realize one thing. They're fascists, and fascists don't want other people to make a choice. They think they know better than you because they're the hero of the story. That's why. And that's, you know, and here it is here. The work of theology is more of a work of negation than positive assertion. It leaves us to ponder the mystery of what's left after all that is untrue and has been figured, filtered out. Mother Earth worship cannot logically stand beside along with Catholicism. The two are opposed. If Mother Earth is divine and to be worshipped, which it, which it most certainly is in Amazonian culture, then the created Mother Earth is on equal footing with the uncreated God. That is heresy in that it denies the meaning of the divinity of, of uh, itself. It is these dangers in the Amazonian Synod that have the faithful deeply concerned about all the ambiguous talk and expressions and vocabulary. In its very conception, its way of expression, expressing itself, it is anti-Catholic, not just non-Catholic, but anti-Catholic. Anti-Catholic means the same as anti-Christian. There is no such thing, no divine mandate that the church be so much of a listening church that it listens to paganism and heresy. That's right. It's unacceptable. You can't have it. It's impossible. We have to remember that. We cannot have this. The church is the church of Jesus Christ. The church, and we must remember also that the book of Revelation, it talked about churches that fell away and accepted paganism and they no longer exist. So we have to be prepared 
<clears throat> I don't want Pope Francis to be deposed or removed. I don't think it's right. And honestly, I think we have to write it through. I think it's better that we pray that he lives long and begins to realize the error of his ways. And that he, the longer he lives, even if, let's say, he refuses to convert, but even if, he, let's say, he converts in the end, if he realizes that he's doing wrong, we have to pray that he's given the time to realize how wrong he is. And we also need people to see how crazy and how bad things are that will, that it will wake people up. We've had problems in the Catholic Church before. It's natural that sometimes men begin to... Maybe they lose track of God. I don't know, some people. You know the story of Abraham and Sarah in the, in the book of Genesis. Remember what happened when Abraham and Sarah got very frustrated because they got old. So Sarah came up with a convoluted idea in her head. She took the young woman, Hagar, her, slave, her Egyptian slave girl, and told her husband, Abram, take the girl, lay with her, let her have a child in my place. She's my servant girl after all. So I'm paraphrasing here. Take her and maybe she will bear us a son and therefore we fulfill God's will. So in other words, they took actions in their own hands, the same way like Adam and Eve decided to, to try to be God without God by taking on the forbidden fruit and eating it, and they only wind up creating a bigger mess. Well, that's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. They both had, they had the child, they took the girl, they used another human being. They used her as a ba as like a surrogate wife, a surrogate mother. And then what happened was Sarah started to have contempt for the young woman because all it did was it brought out her own insecurities about her old, of her infertility and her inability to have children. So by using the young girl, she wound up hating the young woman, Hagar, even more. And Hagar began to hate her because think about it. You used her. And so therefore you used her as an object. So she began to respond back to her mistress with contempt. And then Sarah goes ahead and complains to Abraham about the young woman, that she despises me now. And Abraham didn't want to get involved in this. So he said, well, you do with her what you want. She's your slave girl. And she wound up physically abusing her. The girl then runs away. Now, what they decided with their own human actions was that they wound up creating a bigger mess. It wasn't what God wanted. God will fulfill the miracle of them having a child in his own good time. This was a, a lesson of, an of their own you know, nasty, uh, bad actions uh, that basically they thought that God needed help and he didn't need anyone's help because he's God. And that's the whole point of of Christianity, of Catholicism, we believe that God is God. God is the master of creation. Creation is not divine. He created it. He made the trees, the planet, the forest, the rocks. And he made everything, including human beings, along with the animals. And what, what they want 
is that they want their own actions. They want to create a new a new religion. They figured they can, you know, this this is what these people are doing. They're winding up creating something that is not intended. Now God, in a sense, you heard that line that God writes straight on crooked lines. Well, in a sense, that's what Abraham and Sarah did. They wound up making crooked lines and God had to come in to fix the problem himself. And so that's what we see here. And we hope, we hope in a sense that maybe Pope Francis, in the end, might begin to realize he's going the wrong way. We need to pray for that. And at the same time, we need to pray for our friends uh, within the Catholic Church, those who have taken this idea in their own head that they need to help God to realize that they can't do nothing, you know, that the truth is God doesn't need any help. God needs you to be faithful to him. He doesn't need help. There's an interesting thing, a book, a novel I read a couple of years ago. Um, Anyway, it was about Jesus and the apostles and Simon Peter. I don't, the Lord Jesus said to him, I wanted you. I didn't need you because he's God. God doesn't need you. He wants you because he wants you. And he wanted, and he wanted, no, he wanted, he wants us to respond to him willingly. He can do anything on his own all he wants. But that's because he's God. He doesn't need anyone to correct him. He doesn't need anyone to give him assistance. He doesn't need any assistance. And that's the whole point of the of uh, you know of this attitude about creation is that they they're creating a whole new nonsense. Uh, human beings, you know, there's an old saying. Uh, the way to hell is paved with good intentions. Anyway, let's end this with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.